Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. So we are going to be continuing our study through the book of Joshua. And believe it or not, we're in chapter 23. We've got one more chapter to go. Uh, We're excited about that. And um, then we will launch into a new book. And it is, (laughs) not telling you yet, Joshua 23. That'll keep your interest for just a little bit longer, right? Joshua chapter 23, as you're turning there, let me also say uh, how thankful I am for our Columbia trip, but really especially for this body. It is truly the generosity of this church that's allowing us to send young people around the world for the sake of the gospel. And not only that, um, I don't know if you know this, but we have opened up our Vacation Bible School this year to foster children because of your generosity. And so we have connected with the uh, county of L.A., and we are working with them to be able to allow foster families to get some relief uh, over the week of Vacation Bible School, and you are a huge part of that. So I just want to let you know how grateful I am to the Lord for each and every one of you. Joshua chapter 23, let's go to the Lord and prepare our hearts as we go to him in prayer. Lord, we need you in order to hear spiritual things. So would you give us the grace tonight to listen to a man who is on his way to glory, communicate some deep spiritual truths. I'm reminded of your last night with the disciples. You didn't mince any words. You loved them to the end. And you gave them the truth. And so, Lord, I pray that as we listen now to Joshua, as we read his journal entry of your word, I ask that you would give us spiritual ears to hear In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Last chapter, you remember there was a problem, and Joshua helped us understand what it is to solve a problem because misunderstandings are going to happen in the plight of humanity. But now in Joshua chapter 23, we are a couple of decades later of them having had fought in the land, having settled all the property, and now Joshua, he's on his way home to glory. Joshua chapter 23, let's pick it up. Now it came to pass, verse 1, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel. So we're talking about a couple of decades. We're going to discover in chapter 24 that Joshua's around 110 years old. So after he'd given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age. Um, this is proof in and of itself and what we're going to see with what Joshua says that this was not written in the 21st century because I've not heard anyone around the age of 110, even if they make it to 110, announce that they are old. They are still in the youthfulness of life in our culture. 
So here we are. We're going to pick it up now in verse 2. And Joshua called for, an, for Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and said to them, listen to his announcement, I'm old. Now, if I'm one of the, the judges or the officers, I'm looking at Joshua and like, you did not have to tell me that. We're looking at Joshua, war-wearied Joshua, after leaving the children of Israel for a long time. Trust me, this man was gray and wrinkly. But he feels the need to let them know I'm old. Now, i got to tell you why. He is about to go home to glory. And announcing that he is old is letting them know, I'm about to tell you some things that are very important and very vital. This is my farewell address. I'm old, advanced in age. Verse 3. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. Right in the context of this verse, we begin to see that Joshua is setting setting us up for something. He is setting us up to let us know how faithful God is. That God will do everything that he said he would do because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. God's word does not return void. He knows why he sends it. He promises what he sends and he will do what he says. My mom used to have a bumper sticker. God said it, said it. I believe it, that settles it. It's just the truth of God's word. And what Joshua is going to do is give God glory because of how faithful God is. In fact, if you're taking note, maybe you can write this down and Joshua is going to prove it to us. It's our first of five points. Glorify God as your life's pursuit. Glorify God as your life's pursuit. Joshua's at the end of his life. And he has come to a place at 110 years old, realizing through all of Joshua's successes and all of Joshua's failures, that it's God alone who deserves the glory for all he has done. Take a look at verse 3. The Lord your God is he who has fought for you. It's God who fought the battles. He doesn't say, look what I've done for you. He doesn't say, look at all of my accomplishments are like many of our United States presidents would do at the end of their term. No, he says, I want to give God glory. It is he who is the one that fought the battle for you. He's purposing to give God the glory. But I want you to see something. Go back with me to verse 3. I'm old, advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations. Maybe you'll underline this, because of you. He's fought for you because he loves you. It's just for you that he did this. This is like God's first love action to Adam. He made a garden and he allowed Adam to watch him make the garden because God's love language is you. He wants to love you. He wants you to experience and to see his love. And it's important for us to understand that, especially if you're an Israelite or you're a human being, 
Because the Israelites had been through many battles to this point. The Israelites had fought in many wars to this point. And sometimes when we're in a battle, we need to be reminded how much God loves us. And because of his love, how much we need to be in the pursuit of giving him glory no matter how we feel. Do you remember when Paul was writing the Galatians? He said this, don't grow weary in doing good. Do you know why he had to write that to the Galatians? Because when he made the announcement about volunteering at Vacation Bible School one year, everybody looked at him and went, I did that last year. And Paul said, wait a second. Don't grow weary in doing good. Because do you know sometime battle after battle after battle, we can grow weary. And we need to be replenished. We need to be filled. And how Joshua is choosing at the end of his life to fill them up is to let them know God fought the battle and he fought it because of you. He loves you. Does that encourage you tonight? No matter what battle that you're going through, that God loves you. But sometimes we need to be reminded of our pursuit to give God glory, especially when there's smooth sailing. Because we begin to think that we did something in order for us to be in the smooth sailing, forgetting to give God glory that he's the one that's giving us those calm seas and that wonderful wind in our sail moving us forward. You see, our life's pursuit, whether good or bad, needs to be to give God glory. And the sole reason why is this. For God so loved the world that he gave you his only son. For that fact alone, we give God the glory. Listen to what Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. You'll see it on the screen. He who did not spare his own son, listen to the measure by which he loves you. Now listen, I love you guys. But I ain't giving you Timon. Timon is my last born child. He's my son. And I'm not letting him die for your sake. If a car is coming and I've got a choice between you and Timon, guess what? I'll do your funeral. Now, I love you. I do love you. I promise I love you. But listen to the love of God. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Paul's assuring the church. They're going through trial after trial after trial. And he's reminding them and encouraging them to glorify God no matter what they're going through because God gave his son. You see, to the Corinthian church, Paul would write about this life's pursuit and make it very clear and make it very true to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he would write the Corinthian church and he would say this, Therefore... We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. If you want a life's verse, 
Choose 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. If you want a New Year's resolution, choose 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. If you want to glorify God with every bit of who you are, choose 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 to remember, I'm going to make it my aim to please him. That's the motto of someone who has chosen to glorify God as their life's pursuit. Now, what Joshua is going to do as he sets us up, he's going to reveal to us now four different ways that we can choose to glorify God. We've already read about the first. Maybe you'll write number two down on your notes. Glorify God in obedience to his command. Glorify God in obedience to his command. You see, Joshua's old. I've told you he's around 110 years old. But let me tell you something about Joshua. He's still got a lot of fight in him. He ain't done. He has purposed in his life to glorify God. That's been his pursuit. And now he's purposed to do that to his very dying breath. But something's different about Joshua. When he waved before, you could see his bicep. But now when he waves at 110 years old, his bicep has dropped down to here. And when he's waving, it's waving as well. You see, he has realized, I'm, some of my seasoned saints are going, that's not funny. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, amen. No one said amen, because Joshua was not written in the 21st century. That's why Joshua can so wonderfully say, I'm old. But in this generation, you're as old as you think you are. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but 50 is the new 20, only because I'm 50 years old. <laughs> You see, Joshua, (laughs) I love South Bay. (laughs) See, I've been at the bedside of many seasoned saints who are on their way to glory. And they are not talking about taking out the garbage. There's a sincerity, a wisdom. There's a profound counsel. I used to dread going as an early pastor to bedsides of those on their way to glory. But now I can't wait to get there because Jesus is whispering to them some wisdom that comes out of their mouth that only heaven could be given those people. And then when you're by their bedside, they are purposing to speak the most heartfelt words. You can read a heartfelt speech in Jesus It's John chapter 13 through 17. He knows he's going to die the next day. And his words are sincere. They are heartfelt. The wisdom that is found, like sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The wisdom that's found in John 13 through 17. And what Joshua has done, he's gathered all the leaders. He's gathered all the judges. He's gathered all the elders. And what he's about to do is one of the wisest things that any one human being can do. He's about to pass the legacy of faith to the next generation. In essence, Joshua is making disciples. 
You see, he's realized I'm not strong enough to go fight any battle. There is still land left that remains. I'm not strong enough to fight any battle. But I am strong in my spirit because though my outward body is perishing, my inward body is being renewed day by day. My grandmother, she lived to be 99 years old. She had dementia the last almost 15 years of her life. When I would walk in, I would say, hey, Ma, that's what we called her. She was all of four foot 11. Hey, Ma, how you doing? Now, who are you? Well, I'm your grandson. I got a grandson, eight. She's Bahamian, excuse the accent. And she would say, oh, you, uh, you're my grandson. Yes, I'm the son of your child, Ira. I got a child named Ira. I said, yes. She goes, well, how many children you got? And I said, I got nine, Ma. She said, Jisha lover, you didn't know when to stop, eh? <laughs> now, Jisha lover is a vernacular for Jesus loves you, okay? Jisha lover, you didn't know when to stop, eh? And then the next question would be, now, who are you? And I'd say, I'm your grandson. We did this for hours. We'd always get to, how many children you'd have got? Nine. Jisha lover, you didn't know when to stop, eh? Next question. Now, who are you? But if I said John 3.16... For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, it it would blow your mind. If I went, it is well, she would go, with my soul. If I said, for by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not a works. And though her outward body was perishing, her spirit was alive. Her spirit was alive. We had a friend of ours, her name was Tula Yushikov. You don't know her, but her husband invented the pacemaker. And she lived to be about 98 years old. And Andrea and I, we'd go visit her every time we'd come home from Liberia. And she was the most active woman in my church growing up. She was a part of VBS. (laughs) Didn't matter how old she was or how many times she did it. Are you getting the point? One day, we came back from Liberia, we went to her, she was bedridden. She'd been bedridden for nine years. And I looked at her, and with as much compassion as I could say, I go, Tuli, you were the most active person in our church. How did you go from the most active person, and now you've been bedridden for nine years? And she looked at me as if I was the biggest dummy on the face of the planet. You know what she said to me? Do you have any idea how you made it out of Liberia alive through the war? Because God gave me a new ministry. I pray for you. You see, though her body was perishing, her spirit was alive. Her spirit was alive. And Joshua, his body may be failing, but his spirit is strong. And he was going to do something that he could do. He was going to fulfill the command of God. He was making disciples. It's Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, verse 19. You know it as well as I do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We did it this past uh, Saturday. 74 people were baptized, renewing their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or for the very first time. You see, Joshua was making disciples. And let me tell you something, disciple. You'll know you're glorifying God when you're obeying this command. When you are making disciples, 
Each one of us can glorify the Lord when we are making disciples. Now, you might say to yourself, I don't know how to do this. I've never made a disciple before. I don't know. So that's going to be your excuse not to obey the commander in chief that you don't know how. Let me tell you something. If your boss tells you to do something and you don't know how to do it, what do you do? You YouTube it. You figure it out because your, your job depends on it. You will YouTube it. You will Instagram it. You'll do whatever you need to do to learn how to do what your boss is asking you to do. How many of you are in for learning how to make a disciple? Great. I'm going to teach you how. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. Keep your finger there for just a minute. 2 Timothy, for all of the three people that raised their hands. Here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, let me give you some direction on making a disciple. Keep your finger in Joshua, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It is so complicated, making disciples. Let me tell you. I hope you heard the sarcasm in my voice. 2 Timothy 2, 2, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let me tell you something about a teacher. The teacher only has to know one more thing than the student to teach him. So whatever you learn tonight, go home and share it with someone. You'll be making a disciple. And tell them to share it with somebody else. They'll be making disciples. See, it's so complicated, this discipleship thing. Whatever you've learned, you share And then you tell that person, share it with someone. Do you realize in a room of, what, three to 500 people here tonight that if you all went and shared with something, we can make almost 1,000 disciples in one night? Do you realize that if you tell them to go disciple someone, we're up to 1,500? And if they tell someone, maybe 2,000? Do you realize the exponential growth of you simply sharing one thing that you've learned? Our commander has chief has given us a charge, and the way that we glorify God is by doing life his way, and he said, make... One more time. I heard this side, Bob, we're a little bit shy on this side, okay? Make disciples. It's a commandment from God. My question is, are you glorifying him in this? Joshua was. Let's take a look. Going on to verse 4, Joshua chapter 23. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. See, I have divided to you by lot. The Okay, speaking about himself. See, I have divided. Decided to you by lot these nations that remain. So there's still work to be done. To be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, okay, quickly giving God glory, and the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess the land as the Lord your God has promised you. Number three, maybe you'll write it down. Glorify God as a good steward of his grace given to you. Glorify God as a good steward of his grace that's given to you. It's the first time in this chapter that we see, I did this. And I did this. Oh, he's not taking full glory from God. For in the very next verse, he goes straight to the Lord will do this for you. The Lord will be faithful to his promises. 
So Joshua, what are you letting us know? He's letting us know that I'm a good steward of the grace that was given to me. Turn with me to, uh, excuse me, it'll be on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Take a look. As each one of us has received a gift, every one of you has a gift from the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. As each one, there's a promise of God, you've all been given a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, that would probably be me. Let him speak as the oracles of God. That's my prayer. If anyone ministers, that's all of us. Let him do it as with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong to the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And can I remind you, the power that God supplies, his name is the Holy Spirit. So none of us have an excuse not to operate in our gift because the Holy Spirit was a, a, a part of the Trinity that created the heavens and the earth. You see, God has given each one of us a gift. And Joshua is saying, take a look at verse 4, see, I've divided you by lot. Joshua was given the gift of leadership. He was given the gift of administration. He was given the gift of compassion. He was given the gift, and I could go on and on and on with the gifts. And he says, see, I used my gifts. Just take a look at my life, and I did what God was calling me to do. He gave me this gift, and I'm using it for his glory. He says, see, look at my life. I have a testimony of doing what God has told me to do. Now, let me let you know about Joshua. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. And do you know when you get to heaven, the Lord's going to look at you and go, well done, good and perfect servant. That's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful. And he's given each one of us a gift. Have you been faithful with the gift that's been given? You might go, well, I don't know what my gift is. It's time for you to find out. And the best way for you to find out is to serve at Vacation Bible School. You see, in service, everyone's shaking their head. We got the point. Okay, in service, people start recognizing. They start seeing that, wow, look at how he does this, and look how she does this. I didn't realize that you were a sower. Well, I didn't realize I was a sower either. Maybe I need to buy a singer. Then you buy a singer. Then you start a quilting ministry. Then we start giving quilts to newborn babes, and we write verses on the back of them, and then we hand them out at the hospital. And all of a sudden, Tabitha's ministry is born right here at Calvary Chapel South Bay because you served at... Only the children's section, uh, not section, the children ministers over here. They're the ones that are getting the point across. But there's only one perfect one, and I want you to hear what he said. Jesus, in John chapter 17, verse 4, he says this, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work, or I've done the work which you gave me to do. You see, when we are responsible with the gifts that are given to us and we do what God has called us to do, we're like Joshua. He was a gifted administrator and he lets them know, I did what God called me to do. I have given the land. But Joshua, he's humble. He's humble enough to realize 
that God didn't allow him to do all the land. It wasn't like Joshua's responsibility. He wasn't like, I'm going to divide and conquer no matter what, because it wasn't up to Joshua to complete the work. His part was to divide. Now, the way that the next generation will be able to go about doing the work of the Lord is they have a responsibility to glorify God. And he's speaking to the leaders with the gift that has been given to you You have a responsibility to complete the work that was given because let me tell you why. God only gave all of the gifts to Jesus. And we're the body of Christ. That's why wherever two or more of us are gathered, there he is in the midst. Let me explain. I have the gift of exhortation. You may not like it. And what I mean is, when you come in my office, okay, and I'm beginning to sense that something is up in your life, I'm not afraid to call it out. I also have a gift of prophet, not like the prophet Isaiah, but like the prophet where I don't really care who you are or where you are or what you're doing in life, how much money you have or you don't have, I'm going to give you the truth of God's word. That's a prophet kind of personality. Now, some people get offended by prophet kind of people. They're like, oh, that wasn't very nice. Well, if you want to experience nice and loving and merciful, come out of my office and run to Andrea's office. (laughs) When you go in her office, the big smile will be on her face. She'll just hug you and make you feel all gushy inside. And when you get me and Andrea together, you get some of the exhortation of Jesus and you get some of the mercy in Jesus. And wherever two or more are gathered, we look a lot more like Jesus. Amen? Church, you're part of the body. I can't do all the work. It's not even my job to do all the work. The I can't say to the hand, I got no need of you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. We need each other because we're the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 reminds us again, each one of us have been given a gift. We've got to use that gift in order to give God glory. Now, Joshua, he anticipates their concern. He knows that he's been leading them for some time. He knows that they're going to be concerned that he's going to depart in the same way that Joshua was concerned when Moses departed. So he reminds them in verse 5 that the Lord is in this. The Lord is going to be the one that will expel them. The Lord is going to be the one that drives them out. You see, God had reminded Joshua, as I was with Moses... I will be with you. Now, this is a great spiritual point. And it's the point that Joshua is trying to get across. It's so vital for us to understand that the spirit that was in Moses is the same spirit that was in Joshua, is the same spirit that was in Isaiah, is the same spirit that was in Daniel, is the same spirit that's in you. In fact, James lets us know in James chapter 5, the same spirit that was in Elijah is in you. In fact, James says Elijah was a mere man, just like us. 
And he prayed. He contacted God. And it didn't rain for three years. And then he contacted God again. And guess what? It started to rain. He was just like us. And Joshua is trying to let them know and comfort their hearts. Listen, the spirit of God that had me do all of this work is the same spirit of God that is now in you to do the work. God's going to expel them. God's going to drive them out. God's going to help you possess the land. He's just going to use you to do it. Now you've got to make a decision just like them. You see, our job is to take the land. Our job is to trust God, to work through us. And what Joshua is trying to communicate to them, he's trying to communicate to us. So I need to let you know something. The land in Israel that we call Israel today was not Israel's back then. They had to go and take it. Can I remind you? L.A. belongs to us. It belongs to us. It's our job to go and claim it. L.A. belongs to us. God has given us, the fact that we live here, God has given us L.A. Now it's up to us to go get it. Now here's the problem. You see, there's a personal thing that keeps us from getting L.A. And my wonder is, is there areas in our life that we've allowed the enemy? Now remember, we're God-owned But is there any area in our life that we've given control over to the enemy? That we've allowed the enemy to take some of our life away from us? Well, let me tell you something, Christian. It's time to take back that ground and glorify the Lord. You see, when we get the enemy out of our life in the same way Joshua is telling them to get the enemy out of the land of Israel, we allow the Spirit of God, the the flowing living water, to flow through us so that we can use our gifts to give glory to God. And let me tell you something, church. Just like he used Joshua, guess what? He can use you. Number four. Joshua chapter 23, let's take a look at verse 6. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, and lest you go among these nations, those who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause any to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you've done to this day. Stop there if you would. Number four, I want you to write it down. Glorify God with a courageous faith. He says, therefore, be very courageous, verse 6, Be very courageous. Be greatly courageous. Church, I want to remind you of something. It takes courage to live by the book, to live by the Bible in a world filled with temptation. It takes courage. That's why I'm glad I've got Joshua's in my life. I have a man by the name of Tom who's much older than me, and he's investing in my life. I'm a disciple. I'm not just discipling. Because I believe, how can I disciple you if I'm not being discipled? And I'm choosing to be under this kind of discipleship because I know what's out there. 
And I need some courage. And sometimes I need to make a phone call and say, wait a second, can you help me walk through this? But courage, courage is the only way that you're going to be able to fight the tendency of the other C words. Oh, the C words. You know them. It's not courage. Oh, no, no, no. It's complacency. It's out there. It's compromise. Convenience. Comfort. You're going to need some courage to fight those battles. Let me tell you something. Christianity is not for wimps. It's not for wimps. And we, it, the reason it's not for wimps is because we live in such a hostile world. We're going to need God to step in and help us out. We're going to have to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit for when we feel weak so that he can help us in our weakness and be strong for us. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, all we have to do in that weak moment when we don't have the courage to take another step is ask for the Holy Spirit because we have a heavenly Father that wants to bless us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what Joshua does in order to teach them how to have courage, kind of just like a soldier, excuse me, uh, you'll go to boot camp to move from a civilian to a soldier, Joshua gives us some training to help us understand how we can grow in courage. I want you to see the first one in verse 6. He says, therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that's written in the book. Keep and do. Keep and do. You see, there is a theme that the Holy Spirit does throughout the entire Bible. Learn the Word of God and live the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus doesn't say keep and do. He says hear and do. You want to be wise? Hear and do. If we want to be trained in courage, we've got to be people of the Word learning it. You're here tonight. You're listening online, or you are, and not just learning, but you're living it. Keep and do. Then he says this, therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all. Here's another training method for us. You can't pick and choose what you'll keep and do. You have to keep and do all. Like, let's say one day you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. What is that anyway? Is it the right or the left side for you? I don't know. I don't know where this phrase comes from. But you go to work and they say, oh, it's obvious you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, uh, we were joking the other day. We have a king-size bed. My wife uses 75% of it. The other 25% is for me. My dog's can only share the 25% with me. So I get the dogs and my 25%, and I learn to sleep like this. Now, my wife sleeps a little bit different. She's much more freer to sleep on her whole side of the bed. So I'm always waking up on the wrong side of the bed. Now, can you imagine I came to work all the time and, oh, Pastor Chet, don't go in his office. He woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Here's another one I hear. I'll be doing marriage counseling. 
And they'll say to me something like, well, when I go home, I got to let my hair down. And, and, and that's just what happens. I just let my hair down. I got to be free to be me. So I always ask them, so are you a hypocrite when you come to church? Why can't you be spiritual at home? You're spiritual at church. Church, listen, I told you I was the prophet. We can't pick and choose what we're going to choose to obey on any given day. We're to glorify God by keeping and doing all. Let me tell you, when Jesus faced temptation, when he faced convenience and comfort and compromise, you know what he said to the devil? Man shall not live. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. There's the secret. By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, if we're keeping and doing all, it's actually going to give us the courage to face the temptations that are out there. And when we put all of our energy and effort into learning and living that word, he also says this, therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside. Gang, let me tell you what he's saying. It's so easy to compromise, isn't it? I get it when Jesus said, strive to enter into the gate. The road is difficult, he says, and it's hard. Temptation is easy. Pastor friend of mine, I heard him say one time, one day not in the word is the first day on the slippery slope to backsliding. One day not in the word. And the thing about compromise is one leads to another. They're not satisfied with just one little compromise. James said it like this. He goes, when sinful desires give birth, and it keeps going until it's full grown. In other words, one compromise leads to a next compromise, and then all of a sudden you realize, I'm in this place of compromise. Now let me tell you something about God. He's given you a will. And he's going to allow you to go down the road, but don't confuse his long-suffering for tolerance of your sin. Don't confuse it. Because we're going to see in just a moment, he's going to chastise the sons that he loves. Because we don't get away with sin. And the only thing that you can do with sin is confess it and get rid of it. Radically amputate it out of your life. Pluck out the eye. Cut off the arm. Tonight's your night. Then he says this. He says, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. In other words, he's telling them, don't give yourself an inch to go the way of compromise. Do you know that if a soldier goes into battle without one piece of equipment, he or she is probably going to be massacred? And so what God did was he gave us spiritual armor. And I want to encourage you for homework. Would you read Ephesians 6 tonight? And be reminded of all of the armor that you need to put on. And what Joshua is doing, he's training civilians to make them soldiers. And what Joshua is going to do now is, he's going to give us a couple of areas to watch out for. Because we've got to remember something. We're in the world. Do you remember when Jesus came to uh, wash Peter's feet? And Peter said, oh, don't wash my feet. Right? You remember that? And Jesus goes, okay, you got no part of me. Whoa, give me a bath. Like, bathe me, Jesus. Here I am. And he goes, no, no, no. I only got to wash your feet. You're clean. I just need to wash your feet. And what Jesus is saying is we're in the world. 
And sometimes when we go out into the world, our feet get dirty. We're still clean, but we got to come back, confess our sin, and let Jesus clean up our feet. Let Jesus clean up some of the dirt that got on us in the world. We're citizens of heaven. And the goal of the world is not an about face. It's not that you immediately turn from Jesus and you start walking a different way. No, no, that's not the goal of the enemy. The goal of the enemy is subtle and slow assimilation into the world. Just a subtle and slow assimilation in the world. Nebuchadnezzar is our great example. Remember the boys? We're going to train them for three years. We're going to let them listen to our music. We're going to let them read our literature. And they're going to start speaking our language. And why don't you give them the best food and the best wine? In fact, change their entire identity. And change Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, a Babylonian name, a worldly name. And change Mishael's name to Meshach. Change all their names. Because we want to change their identity. And we're going to do it over a slow, long period of time. And you know what the Bible says about Daniel? He purposed in his heart to glorify God. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going that direction. I'm not listening to that. I will serve you in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar. But I'm not going to compromise and go your way. The goal of the enemy is slow assimilation. So I want to evaluate right now, have we been assimilated? Because what he says here in verse 7 is, don't make mention of their gods. In other words, what do you talk about the most? Your favorite sports star? Is it possible they're your idol? Evaluate your conversations. You talk about the stock market a lot? Is money the idol? Do you talk about your home a lot? Do you talk about your kids all the time? Who do you talk most about? Don't make mention, he says. And he says, don't swear by. This is like the children of Israel going, I swear by the mighty God Baal that what I'm telling you is the truth. Why are you giving Baal that kind of authority when it's, he's not even real? And so my question for us is not only what do we talk most about, but what demands most of your attention? What have you given authority to in your life? And then he says, don't serve them. Here's a third question. Because serving requires time. Like if you were to serve at vacation Bible school, you would be giving us a week of your time from 7.30 in the morning to 12.30. Not a lot of time, I might add. But it's going to take time. So he says, I don't want you to serve them. My question is, where do you spend most of your time? I had a major self-realization many years ago. I worshipped Home Depot. I found comfort at Home Depot. I would just walk through the aisles. And when I would get to the DeWalt section, it was like Jesus had landed. Now, some of you are like, what's DeWalt? That's your problem, not mine. You see, I've asked myself these questions, and I've gotten some answers. So to protect us, Joshua says, would you look in verse 8, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you've done to this day. Hold fast. He encourages them. He says, give it all you got. 
Give it all you got all the time. This word, hold fast, it means to overtake. Uh, I think I've expressed to you before, one time I did a half marathon. I couldn't do the whole marathon. I did a half marathon in the Bahamas. I am in my last mile, and this 70-year-old man passes me. I was so tired. I was like, brother, God bless you. And I look over, and there's this Bahamian woman. And I'm like, God, I can't make it. And she's sitting down on the sidewalk. She's trying to just speak to people as they go by. And she lo- I, I said, God, I can't make it. Just let him go. She looked at me, and she goes, boy, you better get up and go, man, because that boy just beat you. And he's at least 40 years older than you. Let me tell you, when she encouraged me, I said, are you Jesus? She goes, I ain't him, but I believe. Let me tell you something. That little bit of encouragement, all of a sudden my steps started going, and I saw that 70-year-old man. First of all, I'm ashamed that he was 70, and I was like 30. And I'm like booking it, booking it. And I got up to him, and I, we were right within 200 yards. I'm like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not, no, I thought about that Bahamian woman's going to be there. So I started running as fast as I can, and I, I beat him. I'm ashamed, okay? (laughs) But that's what hold fast means. You don't give up. You keep running. You keep running. And he says hold fast to the Lord. Now, that's important. Don't confuse the Lord for your cause or your ministry. Don't confuse the Lord for your cause or ministry because the church in Ephesus did that. They were busy about serving the Lord, but they forgot their relationship. So he says, listen, I got one thing against you. Get back to your first love. And he encourages them. Joshua does, and he says, listen, hold fast to the Lord as you have been doing. Take a look, if you would, at verse 9. He says, for the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. What he's saying is, I want to encourage you. God's spirit is going to work through you. I know the nations are strong. And let me tell you, I know the temptations are. I know the world has a strong pull. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Finally, number five. Would you take a look at Joshua chapter 23, verse 11? Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. If you take a note, number five, glorify God in your love for him. See, God's word for us has defined what that means. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus makes it very clear, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. God's defined for us how we love him. We don't need to figure it out. We don't have to wonder now, what's God's love language? He actually tells us. You'll see it on the screen. It's Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 10. God defines his love language. This is the way that we can love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 through 14. 
12 and 13, sorry. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? Here's my love language. Fear the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, and to love him, now here's love, serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes. What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments, which I command you today for your good. Here's what I require of you. Here's what I want you to pay careful attention to. Here's what I want your life's aim to be, serving me, being obedient to my commandments. This is the way. Now, let me tell you what falling in love with God does. It keeps us from falling in love with the world. Would you take a look at verse 12? Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, scourges on your side. Sounds great. Thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. You see, falling in love with God protects you from falling in love with the world. When you're totally infatuated with God, the world can't even whisper in your ear. And James said something that we need to be warned by. Being a friend with the world is being an enemy with God. Now, I don't know if you've been with us throughout the entire book of Joshua, but the enemies of God haven't fared well. They haven't fared well. In fact, not one of them has won. And when we're totally infatuated with God, we're not going to even be tempted by the world. And the truth of the matter is, there's some pretty great benefits in choosing to follow after God. You see, Look at verse 14, if you would. Behold this day, I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. Listen to his testimony. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. You see, if you choose to be totally in love with God, you're going to have this testimony, a testimony of goodness. Now, how many of you have gone the way of the world and it worked out for you? Bueller? Bueller? How many have gone the way of God and you have this as a testimony? Proof in point. But I need to remind you of something because he warns us. Take a look, if you would, as we read on. Therefore, it shall come to pass that all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he's destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you've transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he, now listen to his prophetic nature, when you have transgressed, and they do, hundreds of years later, then they get removed from the land, which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Hey, church, Joshua warns them to move away from the world, and he warns them for two very important reasons. In verse 13, we learn 
There are natural consequences for our sin. If you speed and run a red light and a policeman so happens to be there, guess what? That's not God's fault. That's your fault. It's a natural consequence. You got caught. But there's also spiritual consequences. See, spiritual consequence is when God has to get involved. And you've moved from natural consequences because those haven't stopped you. And now God has to get involved to discipline you. And let me tell you why he disciplines you. Because he loves you. He says this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, God disciplines, chastises the son he loves, the daughter he loves. And I'll tell you why. He loves you too much to leave you in sin. Because our job is to make it our aim to please God. And anything that doesn't please God, he'll allow some natural consequences to happen. But if he can't get your attention, he'll get involved. I need to tell you something about the children of Israel. Joshua was right. He sent prophets. He sent plagues. He sent all kinds of things to get their attention. They didn't listen. So several hundred years later of God's long-suffering, God stepped in and Nebuchadnezzar invaded and destroyed Israel and carried them all captive. And let me tell you what God was doing. They wanted to worship idols. So God said, great, I'll send you to the nation of idolatry. Be around all those idols for 70 years. Do you know from that 70-year punishment and discipline, the nation of Israel has never struggled again with worshiping idols to this day. He loves them. He loves them. Now let me tell you something. The last thing I want is for God to get involved with yours and my discipline. It's happened to me. I was convinced as a missionary that the only place that I could use my gifts were on the mission field. The mission field had become my idol, not God. And a woman walked up to me one day when I was walking, going back to Liberia because I just thought that's the only place I can serve. And she goes, hey, be careful that God's not answering you according to your idols. Brushed her off, negative person. I got to Liberia. Worst six months of my life. I got malaria. I got mumps. My children got mumps. Imagine these cheeks with mumps. I mean, I could almost lick my ear. Get the visual. It's true. You look like Dumbo. Your ears come, and you can see your ears. It's like, oh my goodness, you're ugly. You know. My daughter got malaria. 
was telling the staff, she literally died in our arms. And by the grace of God, my wife prayed and the Lord gave our child back. My, my wife got sick. She literally dropped about 80 pounds. She looked like a skeleton. One day she was taking off her shirt and I looked and I'm like, you're dying. I went to town because she said she wasn't going to leave and I bought her a plane ticket, her and the girls. I came back and I said, hey, here's your plane ticket. You're leaving today. I'll stay with the boys. You need to go home. She got on the plane. She got to New York. Her mom met her there. She had to stop nursing our one-year-old child. And when she stopped nursing our one-year-old child at the time, and remember, we'd almost just lost our first, our first daughter. It threw our other daughter into malaria, and she was in the natal ICU, dying. Her liver was shutting down. Her heart was failing. And Andre calls me and goes, you need to get home. You're going to come home to a dead daughter. I borrowed money and I got an airplane. And I got into the bathroom. I was on Air Afrique. It doesn't even exist anymore because they used to let goats and chickens just roam through the aisles. It's like no one strapped their seatbelt on, okay? And I'm in the bathroom, I'm looking in the mirror, and all I could hear was Are you sure God's not answering you according to your idols? I dropped on the bathroom floor and I begged God for the life of my daughter. I I repented. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I have compromised. Thinking I'm serving you, I'm really just serving myself. I got home three days later. And Andrea and our precious one-year-old, Elia, met me at the hospital completely healed. He had mercy. And I don't know where you're at, but I know he's merciful. And if you've strayed, like your aim has moved from glorifying God, come back. He'll be merciful because he loves you. Father, I just come before you in Jesus' name. And my prayer now is that we would heed the vice of a faithful saint by the name of Joshua. And glorify you that we'd make it our aim to please you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.